G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to continue to talk Christian perspectives on the federal election today and all of the sorts of things that have gotten us to this point. When Christian leaders and commentators are saying vote for people, not for parties, you know that the policies and actions of the major and minor parties on both sides of that political spectrum, you know, left and right, are out of alignment with biblical Christian values. To say that the election is all about the economy is to ignore the fact that the social fabric of Australia is being ripped to shreds. The Labor Party is considered woke, and the coalition is described as Labor light. In other words, a sort of lethargic form of woke Labor. So many will be asking, how did we get here? And how does a Christian respond? Well, our special guest today was one of the leading voices in the no case of the marriage debate dating back to the lead up to that vote in 2017. He's been my guest on many occasions, always a level-headed, common-sense, biblical Christian approach to the sorts of things we talk about. He sees this as a time for Christians to be people of courage, to stand for their convictions. Many of the radical, destructive changes we're seeing today can be traced back to that moral earthquake that dismantled the marriage definition and fueled the cancel culture that comes from the woke agendas that we're seeing on all sides. Damien Wilde leads the Australian Family Coalition, defending the family, promoting a society grounded on conservative Christian values and aspiring to safeguard our basic freedoms. Damien, a special welcome back to 2020. It's great to be on the show, Neil. Damien, give us your general impression. Uh, We've gone through the campaign. We're almost to voting day. Uh, I wonder whether you've got any sort of impression. Are you dismayed as a Christian commentator, as someone who is immersed in a lot of the things that are politically founded in election uh, campaigns? What are you feeling right now? Well, if I had a, a dollar for every time someone asked me for my election thoughts in the last few weeks, Neil, I'd be a rich man. Um, look, it, it's a challenging time, I think, for a, for any voter, much less a Christian one. And I think that's really borne out when you look at the polling at the moment. I mean, the, the two major parties have never seen, I think, or not, not often, a, such a low primary vote, an explosion in the number of minor parties on offer. These are really signs of the times. Um, there are all sorts of interesting campaigns uh, being waged not only by political parties, but by uh, Christian and pro-family organisations, um, more libertarian style, um, pro-freedom, sort of anti-mandate type people. And I think this huge swirling mix poses a huge dilemma for the, the Christian voter. You know, what do I do this election? How do I try and ensure a good outcome? Um, how do I ensure good candidates are elected? And how do I ensure the best possible government is formed? I don't think we've ever really seen such a challenge as this. Um, and hopefully we can try and work through some of these issues with you over the next hour. 
Damien, do you think this is a sign of a healthy democracy or is there something unhealthy about the thought that we might be headed for a hung parliament and uh, that there might not be either side able to form its own majority? Uh, What are your thoughts about the health of a democracy and uh, the way you're seeing things start to uh, pan out now? Well, Neil, it's a good question and people have asked me what I think about the possibility of a hung parliament. It's been put by some Christian commentators that it might be a good thing. Um, But look, I think that, look, it is a sign of a healthy democracy. At the end of the day, um, we don't really vote for a government. We vote for our local MPs and then obviously the majority team forms government. Um, So if a hung parliament is uh, the sort of collective will of the Australian people, then so be it. But at the end of the day, what a hung parliament looks like depends very much on who is elected. I mean, we've seen when uh, conservative independents or minor parties hold the balance of power in either house, good things can happen. If I go back a couple of decades, Brian Harradine, who was for many years an independent um, upper house senator from Tasmania, he was able to do extraordinary, extraordinarily good things during the, the life of the Howard government. Um, but conversely, you know, wind forward a few years to the, the Rudd-Gillard era where you had a handful of um, sort of rural-based uh, but not particularly conservative independents um, keeping Labor in power. Uh, it enabled all sorts of strange things to happen, including very detrimental social policies. So to simply say a hung parliament is good or bad is, is very, <laughs> very flawed as a strategy, uh, particularly when you look at some of the independents who are being fated at the moment as potentially being elected. Some of these so-called teal independents, for example, uh, whose social policies I can't imagine for a moment would necessarily align with those of your listeners. So, look, it's a sign of democracy in action, but also of the need to be really careful where you park your vote. We get the government that we vote for, and uh, so we can't blame uh, anyone if uh, we get the wrong people making the wrong decisions about the wrong policies uh, there in power. Interestingly, though, if we talk about a hung parliament and a whole bunch of independents on the crossbench or minor party candidates who win seats on the crossbench and all of a sudden they've got to say, interestingly, uh, one reflection here I'll get your thoughts on, the thought that in... The uh, recent times, you vote for your local MP and unless they're a minister, unless they're on the front bench or in some sort of assistant capacity, uh, they get kept in the dark on the back bench without a voice. So does a hung parliament, in fact, with a perhaps a large crossbench, uh, actually give back a voice to backbench MPs? Any thoughts here? Well, yes, potentially, but, you know, that can swing both ways. You know, we've seen the rise of the so-called modern liberal, uh, progressive inner city type who perhaps feels that because their government's only in power by a handful of seats, that they can start throwing their weight around and quite contrary to their own party's policy and and the desires of of the electorate at large. We've certainly seen that in this last term when the, the coalition was returned quite miraculously, it would have seemed in 2019 against the tide and strongly on the back of what Scott Morrison called the Quiet Australians. Now, the Quiet Australians are the sort of people who wanted to see our basic freedoms protected, um, but these sorts of, of, of backbenchers who are in, emboldened to speak out against it have really gone against you know, the, the will of those voters. So, look, it can, um, it can lead to good outcomes, but at the same time it can embolden um, a bit of you know, mischievous behaviour. 
I would like to think at the end of the day that, you know, if you put the right sort of person into Parliament, regardless of their role on the front bench, the back bench, uh, that they will be an outspoken uh, champion for traditional values. And to be frank, I mean, I've, we've discussed him on the show once before. Alex Antic is a, a fantastic example of that. You know, a senator from South Australia who has not held any front bench position to date. He's only been in Parliament for three years. But that certainly hasn't stopped him from, from talking about all the sorts of issues that we care about. So, again, just a, a reminder to people to to do your homework and, and try and get the right people into our parliaments. MPs with the courage of their conviction. And so if they do come to a seat in the parliament, they have a place of power and they are Christian by name, Christian by practice, uh, then we might hope that that Christianity comes through in the way that they will support or denounce uh, various policies that might come before them. Hey, uh, let me ask you about quiet Australians. You mentioned quiet Australians. Mm. Uh, Listeners will be familiar. You know, last time when uh, Scott Morrison was elected, he thanked those quiet Australians, uh, called his election at the time a miracle. And we might even say, well, you know, Christians are very much aligned with those quiet Australians because we have a tendency now these days, because of cancel culture, to hold our cards a little closer to our chest. We don't let people know exactly what we're thinking, but we know we've got a vote on Election Day. Do you think that the Christian constituency actually aligns pretty closely with that idea of a quiet Australian? I think so, Neil. I think um, the quiet Australian is not necessarily analogous with Howard's battlers or Menzies' forgotten people, but I do think that there's always been this quiet undercurrent, a silent majority in Australia who you know, are not necessarily loud and proud about their political views or even about their faith for that matter. But at pivotal moments, uh, they really can make their presence felt. And that was certainly the case three years ago. Um, what that looks like this weekend, however, is entirely a different matter. Um, we don't know. I mean, we're not into crystal balls. Um, I do think personally that the, the poll may well be closer than, sorry, the result may be closer than polling is currently indicating. Um, I do still think the government is probably the underdog in this. But who knows? It may well be a very close result. Let me ask you about uh, the intelligence of uh, the voting constituency, the electorate, uh, when it comes to the use of these voting forms. Uh, now, usually the House of Representatives voting form, it's fairly straightforward. You number you know, your, uh, your preferences, uh, one through however many candidates are on your form. Where it gets confusing, though, is the Senate form. It's huge. It's cumbersome. Uh, you're encouraged to either vote above the line or below the line, and I'm wondering how you think, uh, whether people are across that, whether you think they've got a handle on how all that works, because it seems to be, and it's been shown in past elections, to be quite manipulative the way the preference flows go. Any thoughts here on <laughs> on people voting and, and whether or not this is actually a system working? My, my advice on this one, Neil, tends to exasperate people, <laughs> because I suggest every time without fail that people vote below the line and number every single box. Um, This is not only the way to ensure that your preferences go where you want them to go, but it's also the way to ensure that your preferences actually count because if at some point um, your vote were to become exhausted, extinguished, it basically ceases to, to hold its value. As I reminded someone just yesterday, Neil, when you vote in the lower house and your preferred candidate might get knocked out, your vote gets transferred to the next most likely to win, the next person. Um, 
you have this single transferable value vote. In the Senate, in the states at least, you have, as, as I see it, and I'm, I'm happy for any electoral person to correct me, but my take on it is you effectively have six votes because there are six Senate positions available in every uh, state and two available in every territory. And that gives you an incredible amount of power because you get to vote for each one of those spots. You don't physically cast six votes, but you have six value uh, transfer votes if you like. So it's incredibly important to make sure that you have your say on your preferred order because somewhere along the line, those votes will park with a candidate who will get elected. And if you don't have your say below the line and if you don't complete all the boxes, you may well be helping a candidate whose views are completely uh, the opposite of your own. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to have to stand there and fill them all out, particularly when there are likely to be candidates or parties you've never heard of or even within a party, you might prefer some candidates to others. Um, that's entirely possible. Um, my advice to some people who struggle with that is perhaps choose the candidates you like first the most. You might, if there are, say, 40 or 50 candidates, you might prefer 12 or so that you know or whose uh, values you align with. And then you might start from the, the opposite end and say, well, here's a really subtle hint. I, I don't really like the Greens or the Sec Party or the Communists or whoever happens to be standing in my state. Um, I might put them down the bottom just to ensure that they don't get elected and then fill the middle in. It's, it's a very rough and ready process, but it is a, a process that's used by many. But my take-home message is to make sure that, in the Senate at least, number every box below the line. My suspicion is, even as you uh, reflect those thoughts there, and some listeners will be going, oh, how is he making those uh, assessments? <laughs> uh, my, my, my thought is that uh, probably what the Greens and the Communists and uh, all those uh, really radical left-wing parties might be saying is, put the Christians last. Uh, I suspect Absolutely. that would be the case. That would be a part of their internal communications. They would be telling their people how to vote, and I suspect the Christians will be uh, last on their uh, preferential voting list. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts and really anything election-oriented or on how the social issues may be developing in Australia. You might even want to comment on how you think that the economic issues are more important than these things. Uh, you're welcome to call us 1-800-316-316. Damien Wilde leads the Australian Family Coalition. He is our guest. Our talkback line is open. And so, Damien, why don't we take some calls? Let's welcome Michael in Melbourne. Hello, Michael. Welcome. Thank you, Neil. Good morning, Damien. My question is about religious schools. Damien, in a statement on its website dated February 11, discussing amendments to the Religious Discrimination Bill to ban expulsions of gay students, the Australian Family Coalition said the following, quote, The government had already conceded a huge change to the Sex Discrimination Act, effectively moving to ban the expulsion of gay students. On one hand, the government was attempting to placate LGBT activists and moderate liberals by removing this expulsion ability from faith-based schools. And on the other hand, the government sought to reassure faith-based voters that religious schools would be free by new laws to live out their teachings. How on earth can these two outcomes be reconciled? Unquote. So you are very clearly painting prohibitions on expulsions of gay students as a violation of religious freedom. Why should religious schools have the right to expel a student for no other reason than they are gay? 
Michael, I think uh, there's some twists and turns in your comments here. Uh, Damien Wilde, uh, your response for Michael? Michael, thank you for your question. I think it's a perfectly valid one, although I suspect from the way you've asked, I, I think I know where you're coming from. Um, look, we have not suggested that any student should be expelled for their sexuality, and we've consistently pointed to the fact that there is not exactly a huge issue with this occurring today, so it begs the question of why uh, our laws, people are seeking to change them. The point we have made is consistently that Christian schools should be able to live out Christian teachings, and clearly the, the risk of the Sex Discrimination Act and the Religious Discrimination Act being framed in the way that they were would put these two things at odds and would ultimately see these issues land up in the hands of the courts, which is hardly desirable for anybody, be it the families concerned, the school, uh, the church behind them. At the end of the day, this is not about sexuality of children, and I do find it bizarre, really, that we consistently talk about the sexuality of children. That is just bizarre to me from the outcome, from the outset, rather. But at the end of the day, this is primarily about schools being able to live out their ethos, and they must be free to do that because uh, that, is their, that is their prerogative, that is their very raison d'etre as schools and the right of the parents to choose them for their children. Michael in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hi, Anne, welcome. Hello. My question is when we get the people like the like the Prime Minister or the other opposition in and um, they say such and such we're going to do, you know, vote for me, that's the right thing. And then when they get in, um, they don't do what they have already said and how can we stop this and how can they be accountable to what, what, what they, they say um, is correct? Because I know that every time something gets in and gets into leadership and they've already said that they're going to do this, they're going to put this on and do that, and then when they get in, things don't really happen. And good thoughts. Uh, your response for Anne, Damien? Um, Anne, this is the dilemma of voters probably since the beginning of time. Uh, politicians who promise the world and, and then office obviously fail to deliver. Um, look, a big one for me in this last term to actually focus on a concrete example was the delivery of the Religious Discrimination Bill. Um, we saw it in its final form at minutes to midnight just before the election, which was really frustrating. It just showed that it wasn't a particularly high priority for the government, and that was really, really frustrating, I'm sure, to a lot of people. Um, the fact that it did not appear in the form that we would have preferred either, you know, fitting in with just more anti-discrimination framework rather than the positive affirmation of our freedoms that we'd called for, all of this sort of pointed to us that it wasn't really a high priority and not really sort of delivering what we thought we were voting for. Um, the, the dilemma that we have now is, of course, um, people saying, well, you know, should we punish the government? Um, we're upset with them. What do we do? And then we point out that, well, you know, if you if you seek a change of government at this point, um, the Labor Party are hardly likely to, to deliver uh, what we want. In fact, the situation is probably likely to exacerbate. So what is the solution? Am I simply saying vote for the lesser of two evils? No. I think what that goes to at the end of the day is that voting every three years at the ballot box is one thing, but we have this huge period in between where we think, well, our job's done now. We don't have to put a number in a box. Um, I can just sit back and rest easy. That's really the time for Christians to get involved, to join a party, to go and visit their local MP, to make their opinions known. Uh, because if we wait till minutes to midnight each election time, we're going to continue to be frustrated because, unfortunately, I suspect 
that's human nature on the part of these fallible people that we elect. And it's really incumbent on us to get more involved in the meantime. And in Labrador, thank you so much for your call, 1-800-316-316. Damien is happy to take calls on a whole range of issues. So 1-800-316-316, let's take another call. Sterling is in Ararat in Victoria. Hi, Sterling, welcome. Hi, Neil, thanks. Uh, and hi, hi, Damien. Just a quick comment, then a question. Um, I, I feel, or I've noticed, that... This uh, conservative federal government under Scott Morrison seems to be a lot further left than, say, the Hawke-led Labor government of the 1980s. Both seem to have moved very far across to the left and and, um, we're seeing the results in the low primary vote for them. They've pretty much abandoned their their base. And and just a quick question, um, you know, that Trojan horse called marriage equality. We're now seeing the contents come out with transgenderism and 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 you know people's prefix or whatever it is that. And I fear for what's what what comes next. Good thoughts in there, Sterling. Damien, your thoughts for Sterling? Sterling raises some really good points. And look, he's I think he's quite well correct to talk about the the change in the landscape of our political parties over the decades. But I think probably underlying that is a much broader social change because, you know, what what views we might have held 30 years ago, which seemed perfectly normal and, and we hadn't necessarily changed our opinions and our beliefs, will now get you labelled as a bigot, an extremist, a homophobe, you know, insert the, the relevant uh, insult here. So it's really that society, I think, has really drifted uh, the further it, it drifts from its Christian underpinnings and foundation. So that's really a key point. Um, the other thing is you're talking about... Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember Sterling's second point. I had my answer and I'm trying to remember what the question was. Sterling, what was that? Uh, uh, the question? Just repeat that. Well, marriage, marriage equality uh, was the Trojan. The Trojan, Trojan yes. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Sterling. Um, look, absolutely, and I was, I was going to talk about this a bit later in the program. It now seems an appropriate point. I think the phenomenon we're seeing with Catherine Deves goes directly to the heart of what you're saying. Now, I hope I'm not um, misrepresenting um, Catherine Deves, but I don't think she would necessarily describe herself as a conservative. In fact, she's even used, uh, she's appropriated some of the terminology of the left in order to sort of laugh it off. She's described herself as a turf, you know, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Um, you know, she has openly visited Mardi Gras and the like. So she's not your, your typical Christian conservative. But things have changed and, and become so altered just in the last four or five years that Catherine Deves is now very much on our side when it comes to issues like uh, gender ideology and some of these more bizarre um, policy issues that we are seeing. So... Yes, the so-called marriage equality change has been significant in the way it has sort of realigned our society, but perhaps even more so realigned, uh, you know, our sort of potential political alliances. So um, we we warned about this, of course, in 2017, and we were sort of laughed off as doomsayers and nutters and bigots. But I think, you know, the proof is really in the pudding. But the, the question now is how do we respond to these challenges? Damien, why don't we take some more calls? Steve is on the line from Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Yeah, g'day, uh, Brother Neil and Brother Damien. God bless you both and your, all your listeners out there. 
I really believe that uh, myself, the only way to uh, overturn this is reintroduce Menzies, Sir Robert Menzies' communist disillusionment bill uh, back into federal parliament for another referenda and um, to launch a House on Un-Australian Activities Commission, the same as the Americans had in the, the 1950s. And as for the attacks on the family, get hold of a book called The Menzies Years by Brian Carroll, and in it there's a poster, The Family, Socialism's Number One Target, um, on page 19. Have a look at it. But I really believe uh, 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 Dr. Chuck Missler, Lester's an excellent guy, it's an audio pack, two CD pack, called Armour for the Age of Deceit. If you can get hold of that, it, it highlights the full armour of God, which every Christian's going to need. I'm only born again. I have me stuff-ups, bloopers and blunders. But uh, I think it's wrong to uh, state, uh, vote for the people, not the parties. I believe all the parties have all been infiltrated, starting with the Fabian Society. What do you think? Well, there's a lot in that. Uh, Damien, your response for Steve. Oh, brother Steve, I could write an essay on some of this stuff, mate. I really could. Um, you, you commented, but I haven't heard anyone mention the 1953 referendum for a while, so I'm happy to tackle that one. You know, it, it begs the question, though, in my mind, um, and I, I wish there was a quick fix solution to some of the sort of ideological destruction that's happening in our society, but I can't help but think that if Australians did not support banning communism in 1953, that we'd probably really struggle to get that up today. I think... The, the dilemma we face now is not that there is a sort of clearly identifiable enemy. You know, many people thought in 1953 in the, the Cold War that we can put our finger on this, uh, this fifth column, this enemy within. If we simply ban the Communist Party, our problems are solved. I think the problem we face today is that these ideologies have just so widely permeated society. You'll find all sorts of bizarre ideas um, infiltrating our schools, academia, the media and so on. Uh, ed- uh, entertainment. It has a corrosive influence on our society, particularly on young people who have probably imbibed a, a pretty hefty chunk of cultural Marxism without having any clue as to what it is or where it comes from. If you even uttered those words, they'd probably look at you wide-eyed. So I think the the solution for us has to be a, a much broader sort of re-engagement with our culture. Now, I'm trying to think what the second point you mentioned was. Neil may help me out as well. Steve, uh, remind us of your second point. I didn't make a note there either. <laughs> well, Sorry, there's you so know, much. Um, you, you, can you hear me? Yep. Yes, yes. Oh, that's good. Uh, look, it is very frightening. I don't call it the uh, euthanasia bill. I call it the genocide bill. I call it what it is. Drop the word community. Community is the godless communist cell. What's wrong with parish, shire, village or city? You, we, we, they've infiltrated every level of government, state, okay. federal. Steve, and, let's and uh, let's talk about this sort of idea of a Trojan horse, uh, because some will, uh, you know, will remember all sorts of uh, terminologies oh. and and uh, and uh, descriptions of, say, a long march through the institutions, mm. all sorts of things like this. Uh, there is an infiltration of a godlessness, and no matter what you call it, if it's anti-God, anti-biblical scripture foundation, which gives us a, the only foundation for truth, then there's going to be destruction at the end of it. Uh, thought here, Damien? Well, that actually harkens back to, to Steve's thought, and I've recalled what it was now. He was talking about um, you know, voting for the, the candidate as opposed to voting for the party. 
And he even mentioned, you know, the influence of groups like the Fabians, which is certainly there. I mean, we had some very uh, prominent Fabians within our parliament over the years and their their idea of this slow uh, permeation of society, the slow revolution has has been really successful, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, So the question, though, of voting for the candidate versus the party is very topical at the moment. I'm glad Steve raised it because this has been talked about quite broadly. I don't think it's a recent thing that Christian and pro-family commentators are saying, vote for the candidate rather than the party. I've heard people talk about this for many years, but I think it becomes increasingly difficult when candidates are unwilling to put their views on the line. You know, there are organisations out there that conduct surveys and so on, but I must admit, I find there is a diminishing value uh, as a candidate forums and the like when so many candidates and even sitting members just won't tell you where they stand, either because they're ashamed or because they are hoping that they can be all things to all people and, and basically just be two-faced and duplicitous. Um, really, though, the, the question that Steve ultimately drives at is one of the, the candidate, insofar as we can actually tell their views, versus the party. And I do think that it's potentially to our detriment that we abandon all idea of the party we vote for because um, ultimately there are only one of, of two teams who will form government after Saturday night. It will either be the coalition returned or it will be a new Labor government. So while we certainly do have to um, look at the quality and the calibre of our candidates and what their views are, and I do pity people that live in the electorates of those so-called modern liberals because their views certainly don't align with myself and I dare say not with a lot of listeners, but at the end of the day we also have to consider who we'd prefer to form government uh, and that's a, an issue that's really going to have to weigh on a lot of people's minds. Steve in Parks, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You might like to have your say. Bob is on the line from Bowen in North Queensland. Hi, Bob. Hey, fellas. How are you going? Very good, Bob. What are your thoughts? Uh, no real thoughts, mate. Just a quick question. Because um, when I was going to vote, I wasn't going to vote below the line on the Senate. Listen to yous. I think I might. But how do I know... Who stands for what? Which party stands for, for what? Because they just put the name of the party, not not what they stand for. Damien? Yeah, look, it's a tricky one, Bob. And, you know, unfortunately, the ballot paper is long enough without putting their policies on it as well, although that certainly would be helpful. Um, look, I, I wish I had a simple answer for you. Look, if because... I weigh in on this, uh, Damien, mm-hmm. there is uh, some tremendous resources uh, from the Australian Christian Lobby Uh, On their website, uh, they've got a resource which actually lists all of the Christian candidates, uh, gives you a a, a good idea of who's a Christian and who's not, and uh, those who are practising Christians. uh, You can actually print out a five-page list. There's 150. Uh, I mean, I'm staggered by the number of Christian candidates. So if you're looking for a Christian candidate, you can find which your electorate is and find out if there is a Christian candidate, because if there is a Christian, you can hold them to account too. If they're getting elected on the premise of being a Christian, uh, you want them to hold to those Christian values. There's also a resource there, which is like a list of where all of those parties sit on a spectrum left to right, and they're calling it a wokeometer. 
Uh, so uh, my encouragement is to uh, to access that one because uh, while there's lots of different resources available across lots of different uh, organisations, uh, I don't think uh, Australian Family Coalition, you don't have a lot of those sorts of survey resources. And you were commenting on that, Damien, that, uh, that sometimes when you're doing surveys these days, people are not responding and so you're actually left in the dark. Uh, so there is research there, and uh, take advantage of that resource as you can. Uh, did you want to add to that, uh, Damien? Yes, look, I need to say, and I, I appear to, I may look like a wrecker if I continue, but I must be honest with you, Neil, that I find increasingly diminished value in some of these things. And that's, I'm, it's probably a hard thing for me to say because I've contributed to some of these surveys and things over the years. But many of them, it's very difficult to place someone on a spectrum because there are many different issues on which a person could vote. They might be called to vote on a pro-life matter, either abortion or euthanasia, uh, some matter of uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Sometimes, uh, and I'm not picking on any one of these in particular, so I'll make that very clear, but I have seen surveys in recent times which, for example, might simply focus on an MP's record on, on abortion uh, and say, look, they're really great, they voted the right way on this. But with the other hand, they may have voted for euthanasia so it's fraught with danger simply to say, oh, this person professes to be a Christian or they voted the right way on this issue. Likewise, yes, I have seen the uh, the plotting of different parties uh, on a graph. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all of those. Um, and I don't necessarily agree that a more libertarian party might be preferable, say, to a conservative party. And it's not to say that all of their candidates even all share the same views. I mean, we certainly look at the major parties and realise that there's a huge gaping difference, say, between a, a Trent Zimmerman or an Erica Betts. So these things are very difficult. And I know this is no help to listeners at all, but nothing can nothing can surpass a well-formed personal conscience informed by doing your own research. Bob, uh, while I've got you on the phone, uh, Bob from Bowen, uh, it is yeah, a daunting prospect, isn't it? Uh, to think, uh, you know, I've got to try and make sense of what happens below the line if I'm going to vote below <laughs> the line. Uh, so you will need to do some research. What, what sort of research do you think you can do in your, uh, in the, in your hometown of Bowen, Bob? Oh, mate, look, I just... What I really wanted to do is get an idea where the parties stand because I don't really don't really believe in voting for the um, person and not the party because you could end up with the Labor Party in and everything we stand for going down the drain, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so what I really want to do is know where the parties stand and if I know that, then I can sort of vote according to the way I want it to be. Good, Bob. And just uh, what I've been picking up along the way too is uh, while the expectation is you'll vote at least six above the line, uh, the encouragement is to fill in every box above the line. And I think you're saying too here, Damien, if you're going to vote below the line, uh, don't just vote for 12 because that's the expectation, 12, but uh, mm. go way beyond 12. Absolutely, because chances are, particularly a lot of people, Neil, I, I know are of a mind to vote for minor parties. If they don't get up, their vote ceases to hold value. So it's really important that no matter how you vote, I would really encourage people to number all boxes. And I would just say to Bob in passing, I think Bob, was, he hails from Queensland, is that correct? Yes, Bob's yeah, in mate. Bowen. So, so, you know, for example, um, Bob mentioned he's, he's certainly not a, a Labor-leaning voter. If he somewhere along the line uh, when he's numbering the boxes in the Senate, um, I don't know what all of the Senate candidates for the coalition are like, but I, I will point out Amanda Stoker has been relegated to the number three spot, which is not 
a really safe place to be. So, you know, for example, um, even if Bob wants to number all of the coalition boxes at some point, there's nothing stopping him changing that order and putting Amanda Stoker higher. So it's entirely in your hands as to how you vote. Bob, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Neil is in Mackay, also in Queensland. Hi, Neil. Welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. What are your thoughts, Neil? Um, so, just, yeah, it's probably on the same line of thoughts that everybody else, voting for the party and sort of um, not for the members. It's just um, so the, the way I was thinking is I, I don't understand the part where if somebody's not in agreement, obviously as a Christian, with the policies of the party, is it as simple as just changing the party and going to the party that they do agree with? Okay. Uh, Damien, your thought or two here for Neil? Yeah, that's a tricky one, Neil. Um, You know, some people have said over the years, well, you know, look, I don't like where this party's headed or this party's not for me. I'll go and join another one. Or I think what we're seeing now is people saying, I'll start another party. We've seen this explosion in minor parties. The other option, of course, you know, if you don't like a a major party's policy, for example, join that party, Um, get involved, have a say. You know, it's it's wide open to members to go along to meetings and, and discuss and debate their policies. But I think certainly the most powerful aspect of, of party membership is actually having a say in who represents you. You know, it's all well and good to go along to the, the, the booths as we will on Saturday and cast our vote. But how much more powerful is it to actually have a say in who those candidates are in the first place? Because the dilemma people have right now is in knowing where these candidates stand, what their views are. If you've had two or three years in the lead up to meet people, uh, get to know them, or even to put yourself forward as a candidate uh, and then have that person chosen as your local House of Reps candidate or a Senate candidate, you can be assured that that person is going to be a strong voice for your values if they're elected. So, you know, there's differing schools of thought on how to get involved. As I mentioned, some people go off and join a minor party. Some people, I think, realising that there are ever going to be, most likely, two teams in power, the Coalition or the Labor Party. Uh, they try to take advantage of that and ensure that whoever does form government shares our values. Neil in Mackay, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. There's an interesting development that's happened uh, over recent times and uh, it's exacerbated a little by something that's going on right now in Victoria. Uh, The uh, Liberal Party uh, member Bernie Finn uh, is being Mm. threatened, I think, with expulsion from the Liberal Party because he's made some pro-life agreement around the Roe versus Wade uh, issue and how that might impact on us here in Australia. Uh, Interestingly, when the Australian Conservatives folded after the last election, a lot of Christians gravitated towards the Liberal Party, but they've found resistance from the Liberal Party, either uh, in your own state of South Australia, Damien, where uh, there was an, an absolute blocking of Christians joining the Liberal Party, but also in other places where there's been like, uh, you know, special conditions placed on you and, uh, you know, you're in a provisional status. Uh, You can't uh, vote for those pre-selections. Any thoughts here? Uh, Because when uh, when the Conservative Party rejects Christians, what do Christians do? And there's a certain sense here in which that might be reflected in some of the comments we've heard so far. Any thoughts from you, Damien? Well, firstly, on the matter of Bernie Finn, and I've not spoken to Bernie in recent days, but I'm, I'm blessed to call Bernie a friend. 
Uh, he's certainly been a very big encouragement to me over the years, and I think his stalwart defence of life in Victoria uh, deserves far more than we can ever repay him. Um, the reason, we have commented on Bernie's uh, dilemma on social media, but we've not been more active in these few days because, to be honest, if there is a move to oust Bernie next week, uh, we don't want Bernie to be accused of being a, a wrecker in the lead-up to the federal election. I think there are plenty of people who would love to, uh, to see that come to fruition, unfortunately. But Bernie's plight does pose a very big question. There are many people asking, well, is, is there a home for us in the major parties anymore? Many people thought that the Labor Party had drifted so far over the, the years that they could still find a home within the Liberal Party, and now they're asking, well, as you said, we, we saw what happened in South Australia. We can see what is happening to Bernie at the moment. What does this mean for us? My, my encouragement to people is don't, don't do what um, many of the so-called progressives would want, and that is do not take your bat and ball and go home. That's what they want. Um, get more involved. Have your say. I mean... Bernie Finn, for example, will be out for pre-selection, as I understand it, in, in just a few months' time. Um, wouldn't it be a huge um, affirmation of his stance to actually have uh, his electoral college pre-select him again in the number one position and say, uh, hey, Liberal Party, hey, voters of Victoria, Bernie Finn is the man that we want you to select. Uh, he has been a champion on the issues we care about in Parliament, and we're endorsing him again. Um, if, if we all walk away, people like Bernie Finn don't get pre-selected. People like um, Amanda Stoker and Erica Betts in Tasmania get relegated to the third unwinnable position. It's more crucial than ever that we actually engage with the process rather than turn away from it. Well, Damien, time is running out. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on what the outcome might be on Saturday night. No doubt you'll be uh, glued to the television set and uh, probably flicking between channels and uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe taking a call or two from people that you know and, uh, you know, following the election count. What are your thoughts for what the outcome might look like? Uh, and, you know, given that the polls, it's a little bit shaky to even put lots of trust in the polls, but we do know that there are a lot of undecided voters. Uh, what are your predictions mm. for Saturday night? Look, it's more difficult than ever to do that, Neil, um, because the collapse in major parties' primary votes leaves the whole thing wide open for votes to spray everywhere. Normally, you would think that for a party to have a chance of success, particularly the coalition, they would want a primary vote with a number starting with four. But they're both down in the, the low to mid-30s, the major parties at the moment, which makes... Um, you know, prognosis of predictions very, very tricky. I would say, though, if if I were sort of hazard a guess, and I may be shown, you know, completely um, off the page after Saturday night, I can't help but think that there could be a mere half dozen uh, seats in this. There are 151, so for it to come down to half a dozen seats across the country, it could go either way. It could result in a hung parliament. I really don't think there's going to be much in it because it may not be uniform as it wasn't last time. We saw big swings towards the coalition in some areas of the country. This election could be well the same. I do think there'll be a general swing away from the coalition, but whether it's uniform remains to be seen. Um, and if I can just say, Neil, I'm mindful of the fact that there are a huge number of Australian Family Coalition um, supporters and their relatives who are actually standing uh, across a range of parties um, this weekend and, you know, whatever their political affiliation, I just want to take my hat off to them because I think their engagement in the democratic process uh, is incredibly important. Uh, as a past candidate for, for Parliament myself years ago, I know the, the hard yards that it takes and the toll that it takes on families. 
So I'm just really chuffed to see people put their hand up. And beyond the election, undoubtedly we will continue to have conversations a little like this and uh, always appreciate your wonderful insights, Damien. Uh, The Australian Family Coalition, for those who are not as familiar, uh, you've got a huge following these days. I don't know whether you've got a a number there you can uh, let us know how many people are sort of following. 50,000 50,000 Australians are following the Australian Family Coalition and uh, you might have won a few more friends today uh, with such uh, balanced and uh, Christian foundation insights into things that we're talking about. Damien Wilde leads the Australian Family Coalition. Uh, Let me point you to the website, AustFamily, that's A-U-S-T family.com.au, AustFamily.com.au, and uh, no doubt you can subscribe and receive uh, those regular updates on the important issues as Damien's commenting on those. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind another supporter friend or two when it comes to financial challenges uh, that will be there for the future. So well, let me encourage listeners, ostfamily.com.au. Damien Wild, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights with us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.